On this week's episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we're going to conclude our discussion on structural family therapy, and we're going to talk about some possibilities for the future and the next series that we're going to start, which discusses the theories of how personality is developed, which is going to be an exciting series as we focus on each unique theory that have come about since the late 1800s into more modern ideology on how we develop our personalities. Where do they come from? What makes us us? We're going to talk about things like nature versus nurture. Is it our genetics or is it how we're raised? Is it both? We're going to talk about the effects of the environment as well as other things that affect our personhood, like our spirituality. Did you know, for example, that People have theorized how our spirituality develops. How, for example, one is considered our moves towards spiritual maturity. So these are just some of the things that we're going to talk about in our upcoming series on personality development. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. Welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. On today's podcast episode, we're going to continue and conclude our discussion on structural family therapy. And since I spent the last episode of this series discussing in-depth structural therapy, this will be a rather short concluding statement, as well as kind of introducing our next series, our next topic on personality development. Where does it come from? And why is it important to understand where it comes from? And those are the questions we're going to tackle as we move forward into our next series. I just want to caution everybody who's listening that we're in a severe weather advisory for wind. So we're getting incredibly high winds where I'm at currently. So no matter where I'm sitting, in my office or in my home office, the entire building is making noise. So no matter how much I would like to minimize that, unfortunately, I do not have a soundproof room. So you'll probably hear a background noise that kind of sounds similar to what a semi-tractor trailer would sound like. You know, a semi-truck would sound like. So just bear that in mind. So if you haven't been listening to the series I've been doing, I've kind of taken some time to work on some bonus content where I've been discussing spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. And I think this is important as we're going to move into this new series because we're going to talk a little bit about where does our spirituality come from? Why is it important to understand where our spirituality comes from? Does everybody have it? Or do only certain people have it? Is it tied into religion? Or is it something separate from that? 
And we're going to kind of talk around both sides of that issue. And what's interesting is I've been able to do a series of bonus episodes on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. And if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to those, I suggest that you do because it'll help premise how easy it is to fall into issues when people use our own spirituality against us. When we do not understand the aspects of our own spirituality. And so that's something to kind of catch. If you haven't yet, I highly recommend it. It's really good. And I'm trying to, and I'm just going to own this, I'm trying to get people to listen to that bonus material because everyone who listens can potentially advocate for this family. So if you haven't listened to it, I've described a family where a spiritual leader and his partner entered their home on their daughter's 18th birthday and took her. With no allegations of abuse, they simply took her. And it's kind of created this huge buzz on social media on both sides of the coin. And what's happening is, as you pull it outward, what you start seeing is, is there's philosophies, there's theories, there's beliefs, there's values on both sides of the coin. And what's interesting is, is that on the one side, you have the family that's broken because of this intrusion. And so any way you want to justify it, they're broken, they're hurting, they're asking and they're pleading for help, and they're not getting it. They're met with resistance and opposition from the spiritual community, right? And on that side, there's people who are coming out and they're sharing their stories of spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse and the significant impact it had on their life and their spirituality, where there is woundedness and brokenness, oftentimes caused by the system and by spiritual leaders in that system. And on the flip side of that, there's pushback in the way of the people who are training these spiritual leaders, their hubs, their intellectual institutions are pushing back. They're pushing back to protect their ideology, their philosophies through non-response of what they believe to be true. So if you haven't caught that, I suggest that you catch it because everybody who listens can develop their own opinion and I, it's not unbiased and I own that. So if you, if you want to know the biases, you can listen because I own where my biases come from because I myself have been tremendously harmed by spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. And so my heart goes out to this family. And as somebody who promotes family, I want to advocate for families where I feel like they've been put into a position where they are disenfranchised because they, as a family, do not have the power in and of themselves to stand up, to stand up to these spiritual religious entities who claim to love God and love people and will allow one of their spiritual leaders to destroy, potentially, a family. So, powerful stuff. If you haven't tuned in, tune in. Make your own decision. But if the decision is to advocate for the family, I'm going to talk about next week ways that you can advocate for this family, ways that you can reach out to these spiritual leaders, these institutions of higher learning, and ask for justice. So I'm going to leave it at that.
So if you have a clog, catch them because they're good. Now, jumping into concluding structural therapy. So this series has been focusing on how we do family therapy so that you can kind of see that there's different methodologies and lots of them, if you've been kind of following through throughout, there's lots of methodologies, lots of theories out there on how to help the family. And I haven't even gotten into any of the niche theories, theories that are specific. For example, there are lots of folks out there, spiritual leaders, non-spiritual leaders, claiming to be Christian counselors. Christian counselors. But what is a Christian counselor? Is it a person who claims that they are a believer in Jesus Christ, evangelical Christianity, who does therapy, who does marriage and family therapy, who does individual counseling? Or is it something different? Is it a niche of therapy where it's specifically about Christianity. So there's some questions there. If you've never heard of that, there's lots of people who are claiming to do that. And what's interesting is just like marriage and family therapy, where there's all these methodologies and theories, there's several distinct theories with people who are practicing Christian therapy. And some of those methodologies, some of those theories are very opposed to each other. <laughs> and that's something we're going to eventually talk about as well, because I think it's an interesting topic. Because there's a lot of folks saying, I'm a Christian counselor, but what that means, you may not know. And so we're going to do some education on that. And so we kind of left off on structural therapy, which is kind of where I chose to end. It's not the latest theory. Remember, we had jumped and we talked about the newest theories kind of early on. So I could give you the differences and similarities between theories that were developed you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and theories that have been developed within the last 10, 20 years. And you kind of saw the differences in those. And I'm not going to necessarily go back through them, but one of the big differences is the understanding and influence of postmodern ideology into how therapy is practiced. And so to conclude with structural family therapy, we had talked about it being developed by Salvador Mnuchin, and we talked about his machismo as part of his personhood that he brought into therapy. But basically, this therapy is named structural because it was focused on the structure of the family. It was focused on those things. It was focused on subsystems, boundaries, hierarchies, and coalitions within the family. And it focused on direct interactions between family members. And these direct interactions or what they saw as the primary method of inducing positive change. And I want to focus in on here because therapists can cause harmful and negative change as well if they are not careful. There's a reason why therapists have to go to school for multiple years. And even then when they graduate, they have to work under somebody for multiple years who provides supervision for them because therapy is an art and therapists who are not careful can cause a tremendous amount of harm and negative change versus positive change. And that's just something to be aware of. Structural family therapy stresses that families have the power, and we've kind of discussed similarities with other theories, to discover their own alternatives to problematic ways of relating to each other. So basically, families have it within them to do this so when they come into family therapy, the structural therapist helps to induce that. 
the APA um, site has a really good kind of illustration of this. And it says, for example, structural family therapists might be working with a family whose daughter is anorexic, and they would be concerned with examining such family issues as framework of authority, the rules that govern the assumption of roles, the various functions that members perform, and the coalitions created by the bonding of certain family members. And then they go on to say that then would encourage all members to use this information to develop more productive patterns of interaction that in turn mitigate the stresses within the family context surrounding the daughter's condition of anorexia. And in turn can mitigate the stresses within the family context surrounding the daughter's condition. So the big thing I want to leave with structural family therapy is that it's focused on the structure. And as we talked about last time, there's a lot of information in the system that came from other systems that we had talked about previously, other theories of therapy. And you can kind of see some of that. There's some overlay. So when you go into family therapy, you are most likely going to be with a therapist who has bits and pieces of each of the theories of therapy that inform how they practice. And so that's kind of the big point that I want to leave with here today is that you may go in for family therapy, but not every family therapist is going to do things the exact same way. There are multiple different theories and practices of those theories that might be seen in a therapy session. And people can be eclectic or integrative in the way that they do therapy, meaning they might use different forms of therapy that have some type of relation or are connected or similar, or they might have many different eclectic in and outs that they like to use. For example, they might like to use one of the methods from cognitive behavioral therapy, which we haven't really discussed in depth, but they might use that theory, which is focused on our thoughts and how they inform our behavior. And they might also use the understanding of personality development of psychodynamic theory. And so that's kind of what I mean by eclectic, is there might be many different things that they utilize from different types of therapy when it comes to methodology, but might be very practical in the overall arching theory that they believe in of how the personality is developed, how the family is developed, etc. So that's kind of where we're going to leave off with the conclusion of the series on how family therapists do therapy. So kind of give you a little tidbit of what's coming up next is we're going to dive into personality development. We're going to dive into the theories and the theorists who address how our personality is developed. And then we're going to move into how our spirituality is developed, which is kind of interesting. So you might feel isolated. You might even be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health. And we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated and maybe you are, but you're not alone.